So often we hear about relationships that seemed to be wonderful on the outside, and then seemingly all of a sudden the relationship is ending, or perhaps you are in a relationship. You know something is missing, but you and your partner have tacitly agreed to leave the relationship as is. How do relationships like this get created? And what can be done? Hello, everyone. I'm Pamela Brewer, welcoming you to this edition of Mind Talk. Here to help us figure this relationship business out is Dr. Grant Brenner. Dr. Brenner, welcome to Mind Talk. Thanks for having me. Good to be back, Pamela. Dr. Brenner is a psychiatrist in private practice in New York City, um, specializing in the treatment of mood and anxiety disorders and the complex problems arising from developmental childhood trauma. Dr. Brenner wears many hats, but today we're going to be focusing on the work that he has done with his two colleagues, a book entitled Relationship Sanity. It's more than a book. It's a guideline, if you will. It's a work in progress, if you will. Dr. Brenner, talk to us about Relationship Sanity and where the idea came from. We were trying to find a way to respond to our readers' requests after our first book, which is called Irrelationship, How We Use Dysfunctional Relationships to Hide from Intimacy, even though in that book we really spell out a communication tool and a a method that people can follow with their partners to get to a better place in their relationships. People still said, well, you know, how do we do it? So relationship sanity is an answer to that question. The book is written as a hybrid between a self-other help book, like self-help book, but we call it self-other help, and a workbook. So each chapter goes in a stepwise manner. It's intended to be read and worked on together with couples. And then by the time you finish the book, which you know could take a while, <laughs> could take a long time uh, if you're doing the work, people should be able to relate to each other in a much better way. Uh, and we call, we call this relationship sanity, this way of relating. And you referenced we, you heard me say that you are one of the authors. Who's the we? Who are your other uh, colleagues working with? My co-authors are Dr. Mark Borg, who is a psychologist and a psychoanalyst and a couples therapist, and Daniel Berry, who is a registered nurse and a mental health administrator, and they've brought a tremendous amount to this work uh, through our combined experience. I, I think we hope to offer a lot for people. And the trio has been, as you said, has been working together for some time. Uh, the first time you and I met, so to speak, was when we were talking about irrelationship. I'm going to ask you to define for the listener what irrelationship means as we move into sort of the opposite of that, which is relationship sanity. Irrelationship is a way that people get together in intimate relationships, stereotypically romantic, but you can see this in the workplace and in families where there is an unbalance in caregiving and one person ends up trying to fix or rescue the other person it goes beyond concepts like codependency and counterdependency because we really focus <clears throat> pardon me we really focus in on what is happening in the pair of people together and so when people are stuck in the the dysfunction of irrelationship they are hiding from intimacy 
generally unaware of how scared they are of intimacy by creating performances together, which appear to be like they're trying to take care of one another and do what, say, married couples or committed couples are supposed to do. But it's it's a kind of a performance and it's not based on authentic uh, relatedness. You are saying couples. Um, is this process specifically for couples versus singles or trios or any number of the kind of relationship dynamics that we are aware of today? So irrelationship as, as a kind of a social defense that can be used by anyone in a group to avoid the vulnerability that comes with intimacy. So our work has focused in our books on romantic couples but we believe that the irrelationship dynamic is all over the world in, in many different ways. And that one of the fundamental problems speaking you know, globally that we face is an inability to uh, mutually recognize one another. Uh, this, is a, this is a deep psychoanalytic concept as well you know, that leads to conflict. But our, our work, aside from some of our blogs, has focused on romantic relationships okay. and their connection with family uh, of origin dysfunction. Okay. You um, are specifically related to couples. Yes. Okay. You have a chapter in Relationship Sanity um, that's entitled um, Not Wanting What We Think We Want. How likely is that to happen in a relationship that we don't know what we want? I think, unfortunately, a lot of people aren't clear about what they want in life and from relationships. And certainly for us, we work with people who are, you know, coming for help, um, who aren't in healthy and satisfying relationships. It's very likely that people don't know what they want. And part of a relationship, I think a healthy relationship is to learn with your partner what you each need and, you know, partially to give it to one another and partially to find it outside of a supportive relationship. And I don't mean sexually. I mean, you know, you can't get everything in life from your marriage for most people or, or for your partnership. I think about the lessons that we learn growing up just about relationships. And I would suggest that they, although perhaps better, less skewed than they were, in years past, they're still pretty skewed in a lot of ways. Um, people learn about specific roles, and if you're in the role, you're good. If you're not in the role, you're not good. Do we just need to take a step back and learn about what a relationship is? I think that's a good point. What is a relationship, right? And what are my responsibilities in a relationship? And where do I learn the roles that I enact in my relationships? A lot of people I see, you know, the stereotypical thing is they're, they're doing what their parents did. And a lot of times their parents were unhappy and they're, and doing what their parents did means to pretend, you know, that everything is okay. And, you know, whatever that means to keep on a happy face or to stay busy all the time or to act loving, um, Nowadays, obviously, the divorce rate is very high, and I think people are more likely to be openly hostile to one another, uh, whereas in the past, people would you know, put on a happy face, and there's more of a, a rigid kind of pretending going on. I think now people 
bicker more and they express their dissatisfaction more openly, but they don't necessarily address the problems any differently. For the couple who comes to you and they realize that their relationship isn't going the way they think it should, a lot of times there's shaming and blaming within the couple as if they should know it should be better, it should be different. What are your thoughts about that? That's another excellent point. I think for a lot of us, especially if we if we grew up with any kind of deprivation, neglect, or abuse as children, and a lot of people who are in your relationships, you know, did, are looking for recognition and aren't necessarily equipped either to express themselves clearly enough to get what they need, to find people who can meet their needs, and sometimes to even, you know, know it when people are meeting their needs. So these these situations are characterized by deep misunderstandings, uh, and it en- it ends up in criticism and attacking because that's how people think they should relate to fix the problem. So we often learn how to hurt ourselves and each other, certainly emotionally, from what we experienced growing up. That's just kind of how the world works. Yeah, I think. People don't always want to believe that developmental factors are important. Uh, And some things are temperamental. There are genetic factors that are significant, you know, 30, 40% of temperament. And then there are also epigenetic effects that we're beginning to understand, which are about how trauma can be passed down through generations in a a quasi-genetic way. But a lot of it is the family environment and how those innate factors are shaped. Dr. Grant Brenner, uh, co-author of Relationship Sanity. We're going to take a break, folks, and we will be right back. So stay where you are. Dr. Brenner, you say early on in Relationship Sanity that one of the essential ingredients is compassionate empathy. We were just talking about shame and blame and how that shows up. How do you turn that into compassionate empathy? I think that's that's at the heart of the matter. Um, there's plenty of research on mindfulness-based meditation And there's plenty of research on compassion-based meditations and practices, which always start with mindfulness. The state of shaming and blaming is a completely different neurobiological state than a state of compassion, and compassion meaning compassion for oneself and others. So, for example, if you start to have a critical thought or a shaming thought, either about yourself or, or another person, if you can recognize what's happening in that moment and approach it with compassion, then you get some distance from the emotion, not that you want to detach completely, but a perspective. And you can start to ask the same questions like what happened here? 
in a way which isn't blaming, but rather is coming from curiosity and is more likely to lead to learning. And of course, more likely to lead to change. The idea of being compassionate towards oneself and one's partner, that's often a real challenge for folks. Is there a a first step, if you will, in considering even the importance of that, let alone actually trying to engage in that compassion? I think I'm not sure what you're asking. Let me know if I'm, I'm not answering your question. I think part of the first steps in the dialogue is to ask that question of one another. You know, we've had a lot of bad experiences. You've hurt me. I've hurt you though we would encourage just to have people say, I have felt hurt rather than, you know, you have done this and you have done that. And the idea of us changing how we feel about one another, working on our relationship, putting our relationship first in a, in a way, making our relationship have its own requirements, almost like a, like a child, the relationship has its own needs. And what do you think it's going to be like if we try to stop hurting each other acknowledge the injury and move forward. And if the answer is, you know, I can't do that now, or I have work to do before I can do that, then let's talk about that. And if someone says, I can't do that now, is the relationship over? Is there still hope? We get asked that question a lot. And of course, you know, people say, well, I want to work on the relationship, but he doesn't, or she doesn't. I think the, the advice I've given in those cases is to really think about how important the relationship is to you, to think about the timing of if you want to leave the relationship, when you want to leave. And if you think that there really is enough compatibility and love to try to work on it, if the answer is yes or maybe, then I think that person who is feeling like alone with the responsibility for the relationship, which isn't unusual at all, has to feel like they're doing more than their fair share of the work for quite a while, possibly, including doing whatever they need to do to be compassionate with themselves as well as their spouse when it feels like they're under attack and taking care of themselves very, very well while waiting to see if the relationship can take a turn for the better. So I can see that as being a particularly difficult um, period for the person who's you know, who's wanting to work and they've got somebody who's who's not necessarily wanting to work. You say that learning to view the relationship as a third entity, if you will, there's you, there's your partner, and then there's the relationship. How is that helpful? I mean, it's, it's critical. Um, I think any healthy relationship, you know, the couples will tell you that they spend time nurturing their relationship you, you know, this, the simplest thing is like going on date nights every night. Um, but when relationships are not cultivated and, and, and taken care of by both couples involved, they, they just, you know, wither and people grow apart. Um, relationships, they, they need us to have experiences together that are positive and novel, you know, and to be challenging one another in, in different ways and enjoying one another in different ways. A lot of times when people have children or a career interferes, you know, they start neglecting their relationship 
and they're not you're not only neglecting you know your partner but the relationship is being neglected you know in a way a relationship is like a business if you don't pay attention to the operations it's not it's not going to succeed <laughs> indeed we're talking about work I got to, I mean, there's got to be somebody at some point in the relationship who says, you know what, this is just way too much work. I've been too hurt, too exhausted, too angry. I just don't want to do this. I just want out. What do you say to that person? Well, tell me more about how you're feeling. Um, How far along are you in the decision making? Um, Of course, you don't want to be coercive. So if someone wants to leave a relationship, they leave the relationship. Uh, But sometimes people sort of propel themselves out of relationships out of fear. And that's where it gets trickier, where if I were a couples therapist, I might say, well, let's, let's give it, you know, a couple of months to really think through this together. Is this decision impulsive or not? And even if you ultimately decide that you're going to separate then how do you want it to be? Do you want it to be destructive and re-traumatizing? Or is there any possibility for it to be a better experience for both of you? It's a lot of work, no matter what. But I suppose that if something is important to you, it does require work and attention. Yeah, definitely. Uh, you know, but people, they learn, we learn to check out. Uh, and a lot, a lot of our work in relationship sanity is recognizing when we're checking out and we can check out by becoming distant and we can check out by just fighting without any desire to have a constructive uh, argument. Um, But people check out. And I think the longer people check out, the lower their investment is in the relationship and the easier it is for them to just walk away. The problem is if they haven't learned anything from the relationship, there's a pretty good chance you know, they're going to jump into the next relationship and it's going to be similar. You can't run away from the work. You can run away from the relationship. Uh Um, But if if you want to have better relationships anyway, you have to do the work. There, In relationship sanity, there are several exercises uh, that you offer uh, the reader. Tell us briefly, if you can, about the graphs exercise. What is that? That's a way to get more insight into the caretaking behaviors that we bring to relationships, which are maladaptive. GRAFT stands for things that kids commonly do when their parents um, have, have trouble and the kids need to compensate. It stands for being good, being right, being absent, like staying out of the way, being funny, uh, walking on eggshells all the time, being being tense and being smart, like being that kid who has to get straight A's. And these are things that we need to do to take care of our mothers and fathers that get ingrained to us. And we do those same behaviors in our adult relationships. And so the grafts exercises allows people to write down what they're doing uh, and to identify what those things are and talk about them together. And do you find that couples are readily able to do that? It's pretty straightforward for them to do. A lot of people, you know, they read it and they go, oh, yeah, you know, I always had to make my mom laugh when she was depressed. And you know, I, I, I think I do that when my wife is in a bad mood. I just try to cheer her up. And, and she says, yeah, when you do that, I feel like pressure, like I'm supposed to be cheered up, but it feels like you're not getting that I'm really feeling sad and I just need support. 
And I think with a little bit of help, people get that right away. It's not that complicated intellectually. It's more the emotional barrier. There are many um, exercises, if you will, and many uh, points that you have provided in relationship sanity. Is there... uh, let me back up a bit. You you talk about the value of identifying positive couple experiences. If somebody's coming into your office and they feel like they're at the edge of insanity, not sanity, mm. how are they able, are they able to identify a positive experience that they've had as a couple? And does it matter? Well, at that particular moment, I think, the percentage of couples that would be able to make use of, you know, hey, think of a time that you were getting along better. Some some people may find that helpful, but I think more often than not, it would feel like an empathic miss on the part of the therapist because they're not in a state of mind where that's going to be well received. Uh, you know, the first thing I would do is, you know, damage control, uh, crisis response. Uh, sometimes, you know, reminding people of better times can help. But like I said, they're they're more likely to be defensive. And as a therapist, I don't want them to get defensive toward me because it will make it harder for me to help. Do you find that there are uh, typical myths, if you will, that people enter into couples therapy with? Yeah, I think, I think that's, that's a, a problem for people. I think the biggest one is people think that couples therapy is so will break up. And when someone says, hey, honey, let's go see a couples therapist, then the other person thinks you're just doing this to dump me. You know, and sometimes that's true, but sometimes it's 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 a, you know, a fear of abandonment. And so if people do want to try to bring up couples therapy, like if I'm treating someone individually, I recommend that they're very clear with their partners about what it's for. You know, I really love you and I value our relationship and I, you know, I'm hoping couples therapy is a way for us to get closer together and, you know, function better together. Versus I'm going to pull a fast one on you in front of the therapist. Yeah, I mean, people use couples therapy, you know, as a baton, like in a fight back and forth over the years. I hear this quite often, you know, well, I wanted to see a couples therapist two years ago, but you didn't. And now I want to see a couples therapist, but you don't. Um, they're at a sink. Yeah. And basically anything can be a weapon. We're going to take a break. And when we return, we will continue the conversation with Grant Brenner, co-author of Relationship Sanity, Creating and Maintaining Healthy Relationships. You're listening to Mind Talk. We'll be right back. Dr. Brenner, can you tell us very briefly what the 40-20-40 tool is? 40-20-40 tool is a way of communicating where people use a timer, literally, 
taking turns speaking and listening, and they follow or they try to follow because it's a, it's a learning tool. It's not something you do right away. Basic rules. When I'm speaking, I speak about my own experience and my feelings. We try to stay away from blaming and shaming. The other person listens, and they listen with an open heart, hospitably, and vice versa. And so it's a way to make the conversation safe and effective. You know, for couples, it takes practice. I was going to say, for couples who are in crisis, um, listening um, with an open heart, with uh, you know, with compassion, that's a pretty tall order. Well, we're not setting anyone up to fail. So, you know, baby steps, right? These things take time to learn. And the, the payoff is over time. And in the short run, there's something to learn too, which is you learn to hold back a little bit. You learn some frustration tolerance. People are wanting to defend themselves usually. When people do take a step back, we start to recognize how threatened we feel. And then that can be talked about. So the 40-20-40 and any exercise like this is not something to be imposed in an authoritarian way, right? People will just push back. It, it has to be used in, 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 in a gentle way because the outcome of doing it is a more gentle process. And it's the kind of thing where if you don't get it right, that's okay. Not like I messed up. I'm bad. It's like, that's good. I keep trying. You said early on that it could take a while to get through uh, relationship sanity. And I know you, uh, well, let me say that I am often asked how, by couples, how long is this going to take? How long do I have to sit here and listen to this couples therapy stuff? What do you tell people when they ask you that, if they ask you that? I think it's a very individualized answer. It depends on how well I know the person, how well I can estimate the amount of time it will take. And even under the best of circumstances, it's hard to predict a process like that. I think for a lot of people I've worked with, to get to a reasonably good place for someone who is fairly psychologically minded and not too bogged down by developmental trauma, they can get to a reasonable spot, I'd say, within a year or two where they're getting some traction. I know people tend to, you know, shift back to old habits without reinforcement. Yes. And that's a little trickier. Grant, there are so many more exercises and, and, and information and wisdom that the three of you have put into relationship sanity. How do folks get more information about the work that you're doing? Our website is irrelationship.com or relationshipsanity.com goes to our website. And we have been blogging on psychology today and have started blogging about relationship sanity. And we can be reached on Twitter as well. And people can email us via our website or psychology today. We're always happy to hear from folks. So relationshipsanity.com or irrelationship.com? are the places yep. to go. Yep. Sounds good. Dr. Brenner, thank you so much for joining us today and for once again sharing the wisdom that you and your colleagues have um, chosen to share and create for all of us. Thank you. It's a pleasure. You're very welcome. 
And folks, thank you for joining us on this edition of Mind Talk. Mind Talk is brought to you daily as an educational public service. It is not intended to replace any work that you may choose to do as a medical, mental health, or other professional. Mind Talk is available on demand by going to mindtalk.org. That's M Y N D T A L K dot O R G. Mind Talk is produced by Jim Brown and 26 by 2 Communications. And be sure to go to the mindtalk.org homepage and sign up for our weekly free giveaway. Folks, remember always if it's unacceptable, it's unacceptable. You take care. Thank you.